we're going to receive the word. I, I know you can say, well, we just keep praying all the time. Well, let's keep praying all the time. <laughs> Lord, we want to receive your word. And you tell us in scripture that we need no man teach us, but yet you gave teachers to the church. What's that about? Lord, we know this, that unless you, Holy Spirit, teach us, unless you give us revelation and truth, and unless we cooperate by having hearing ears and deciding to retain the truth of your word, there's not going to be any progress. And so we're praying today, help us, Holy Spirit, to hear well. Help us to retain well. Help us to do your word well. And give us insight and understanding. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been talking about transformation, which is the goal for the believers to, to have a transformed life, that we go from the old way of life to a new way of life. And one of the things that happens when we go to make these transformations in our life, and it can be anything, of course, we're talking about spiritual things today, so we, wanna, we want you to know that your biggest goal is to just go for it spiritually. I'll tell you why, because the scripture says that we should guard our heart, and probably 99% of the time when the Bible talks about the heart, it is not talking about the muscle in your chest that pumps blood. When it talks about the heart, it's talking about the spirit, your, your spirit, especially as a believer, your born-again spirit. It says, guard your heart, guard your spirit with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. And so we want to be very careful that we are, we are focusing on on spiritual transformation, because spiritual transformation will leak out into all other areas of life. And so, if you're like me, you say, okay, I want to make some forward momentum. Maybe you want to develop your prayer life some, or, or scripture reading, or faithfulness to the house of the Lord, or serving, or, or giving, or what? It could be anything in any spiritual endeavor. And it can also be natural things, too. And many of the natural things we do is are spiritual principles that God gave anyway. So we have all this stirring around. What are we going to do? And so we say, I'm going to make some plans. I'm going, to, I'm going to strategize. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to grow. Nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to, you know, have a, won't ask for a show of hands. But how many of you have made the best plans? And if you've if you got a little engineer in you, you graphed it out. You got out an Excel spreadsheet. You put everything in. You made little charts if you're wired up like that. But whether in our head or whether on paper, we had these great plans and I don't know how many of you have ever done that and didn't even make it through the first day, let alone a week, let alone a month. And so you say, okay, well, I, I need transformation, and we do. And so we say, I know what I'm going to do. Here's my default and probably your default too. Here's what we say we're going to do. We're going to double down. We're going to try harder. We're going we're to make this happen. And it just doesn't seem to give us the traction we want in life. So what are we going to do? And by the way, you can say, what's Tracy saying? Don't try. Don't make an effort. Don't have a goal. Don't have a plan. Don't have a dream. Don't have any of that. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is what we come back to quite often is that the kingdom of God has a system and the world has a system. And we have been translated, I think it's Colossians 1.13, we've been translated from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves, into the kingdom of Jesus. And so we're operating in a different kingdom now. And as you study, you find out that, that in Jesus' parable, the shrewd uh, servant, he said this, this is a paraphrase, but basically Jesus said this, the people of the world are wiser in how their system operates than the children of light are in how their system operates. So you read that and you say, I guess we ought to know how our system operates. 
we ought to know how the kingdom of light operates. And it's different than the kingdom of the world. And so we decided we're going to make spiritual progress. Maybe you got to, you say, I need to break a bad habit. I need to overcome an addiction. I need to conquer a sin. I need to do whatever. Well, just doubling down on your effort is not where the answer is. It's finding the power and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to enable us and empower us to do that. And so, you know, even with that, you probably said, okay, I still got some room for growth, and I'm sure you do. I do too. But when we looked last week at Galatians chapter 5, now our assignment this week was to go over Galatians chapter 5 multiple times, and I know y'all did it, you know. I know there's no one out here saying, Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, everybody did that. So we stayed in Galatians 5, kept that fresh in our mind. In Galatians 5, there's uh, a listing of what the flesh produces, and there's a listing of what the Holy Spirit produces in the form of fruit. So it's, it's acts of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you want to have transformation in any area of life, there's a couple of key components. Now, there's more than that, but at least a couple of key components. And one is faithfulness and consistency. See, if you've ever tried to do something, you say, gosh, I do it one day, and I don't do it for two days, and I do it for a couple days. And so you want consistency, you want faithfulness. And the other thing, I'm sure we've all cried out for a little more self-control, a little more self-discipline. And so we go to Galatians 5, we study this out, and we see, as we look at what the works of the flesh are, and we work, look at what the fruit of the Spirit is, you, if you look closely, you will find in the acts of the flesh, it's not listed that an act of the flesh is faithfulness or consistency. It's not listed that an act of the flesh is self-control. That is a fruit of the Spirit. The flesh acts and responds. You know that. I remember one time, uh, something, I don't remember what was going on, it's too many years ago. Uh, that happens when you've been married forever. And so uh, something happened, and Darlene said something to me, and I bristled. You know what happened? That's your flesh responding. It just, I, br- I felt the tension and bristled, and I looked at her, and she said, Honey, we're on the same team. And I went, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, we're on the same team, okay. But the flesh wants to just respond, you know, just do it. But fruit doesn't just respond like that. Fruit has to be nurtured and, and grown, and we have to create an atmosphere and environment for fruitfulness. And so that's how it's the spiritual kingdom works. It, it, let's say you have a tendency to be frustrated when people cut you off in traffic. Now, I want you to notice, every single one of us that get aggravated at somebody, how they behave in traffic, we've all done it too. We have all done it too. We've all cut somebody off in traffic, probably accidentally, but we've all done it. But somebody cuts you off in traffic, and immediately the flesh responds. You know, if, if you're prone to anger or rage, you'd be, those stupid idiots, and blah, 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 and hopefully that's the worst the language gets, and you start talking and yelling and honking the horn and doing all that. The flesh just responds. But attributes of the Spirit are grown like fruit. You never had somebody cut you off a tribe and say, well, bless the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I love them. I bless them. I pray for them. I, it doesn't respond like that. You have to train yourself through the Holy Spirit to develop a fruit of kindness and gentleness and self-control And that comes from the Holy Spirit, and it's fruit. It's something that's built in our lives. So we're going to look at transformation from death to life. So John 2, 24. Jesus is speaking to us. And I want you to know, too, that 
that to really have true fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit, please hear this clearly, you must be born again. You, you can you say, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm not saying that won't be handy and helpful, but ultimately you must be born again. The Holy Spirit loves you. The Holy Spirit is blessing you. Even if you're an atheist and you hate God or don't believe he exists, the Holy Spirit is after you and blessing you. The Bible says he's continually pouring out his goodness and his kindness on you. But if you want transformation from the inside out, the Holy Spirit does not live in you if you're not a believer. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, we're not mad at you. We're not upset at you. We're just trying to encourage you, allow the power of the Holy Spirit to come live in you through the new birth. And so we have this transformation that's going from death to life. And John 12, 24, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and does what? dies. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, then it just remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Well, what's it saying? It's saying the death of that one seed causes much fruitfulness. And so where we die to self, we produce a lot of fruitfulness. So we move, we're going to talk about the death side, the death part of this transformation to life change. We're going to deal with that first. Here, here's some exciting news. This just makes people want to become Christians all the time. The first stop for the new Christian, the first stop for the believer is death. I know, and you go, woo, I, I just want in on this thing, you know. The first, the first stop is death. Now, it will be death that produces life, but it's the first stop. And I'll show you from Scripture Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must, what's the next two words? Deny themselves. That's not cool. I mean, that's not a very American message, deny yourself. This is the kingdom message. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross. Cross, the absolute most horrific method of killing a person that the world's ever seen was the Roman cross to take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, voila, will find it. Now, just for clarity, this isn't physical death we're talking about. This isn't self-harm. This isn't suicide. This isn't... Uh, in around the 1500s, 1600s, this, this system came in of penance. Now, penance is, is to have sorrow for your sin, but they decided, my flesh misbehaved, my flesh was bad, and so what we're going to do is we're going to punish ourselves. And so it was a thing, you'd take a whip and you would flog yourself, beat yourself. You might crawl through gravel on your hands and knees or on your elbows, anything to say, I'm going to prove to God that I'm truly repentant, I'm truly sorry for what I did, and I'm going to, I'm going to treat my flesh harshly. Harshly, that's not in the Bible. That method's not in the Bible. You say, well, well who's going to take care of all my guilt? Jesus. Who's going to forgive me for all my wrongdoing? Jesus. Wow. Who's going to pay the price? Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. I think we'd never really preach the gospel instead of our man-made version of it. People might go, wow, that's glorious. It's the glorious gospel of grace. Jesus is the answer for those things. But death that we're talking about is spiritual in nature, and so I want to examine this further. In Romans 6, 3 and 4, Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into 
death. In order that, or for the reason that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We might live a new life. Now, obviously, what God has to offer is better than anything the world has to offer. Jesus actually tells us that in John, the 10th chapter. He says, I'll tell you what the thief has for you. I'll tell you what the devil has for you. I'll tell you what the world has for you. It's a steal from you, kill from you, and destroy you. But Jesus said, but I have come. Now, there's a, there's a few statements like that in the New Testament. They're always powerful. Think about this. God clothed himself in a human body. And when he says, here's one of the reasons I came, that ought to perk up our ears. We ought to start paying attention. He said, I came for this reason. Here, that you might have life and that more abundantly, overflowing to the fullest measure. And so it's this great life we have in Jesus. And in Romans 6, 11, it says, in the same way, count or consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, this isn't just symbolism, but it is symbolism as well, but also a stepping into an attitude or an approach to how to do life as a believer, as a Jesus follower. How do we do that? We reckon ourselves, consider ourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. And then transformation begins to take place. Now look at Galatians 2.20. Last week we were in Galatians 5. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The guy who wrote this, his name was Paul, and he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. He was a Christian hater, became a Christian follow, a Jesus follower after he met the resurrected Jesus. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Now, obviously, he's not physically dead. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're, we're getting an understanding of all this death verses, all these death passages. And then in Galatians 5.24, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that's an ever-moving uh, goal of ours, to keep on dying to self, dying to sin, dying to sinful passions. Now, there's passions. There's, there's good, noble, and godly passions, but our sinful, our sinful passions, dying to those. And so the message for the believer first starts out as a message of death. And again, that's not real entertaining to people or real, oh, that gave me the warm fuzzies, but it will if you follow it all the way through. Because when we die to sin, we come alive to God. And I will bet you, I will bet you that any real brokenness in your life, any real shame, any remorse, any guilt, any burden that you carry is in your life because of either your own sin or sins that were committed to you. I don't know anyone that says, I'm just so burdened down. I just, I just loved Jesus so much and worshipped him and obeyed him and followed his word. No, it, it's sin. Now, all of us have experienced that. This isn't to beat you up. This is to say there's a new life in Jesus. There's a new life. And so to be enamored with and love with and say, I don't want to leave the old life, why not? It's the only thing that's brought brokenness into your life. And so we want a new life in Jesus. And so we say no to the flesh. So dying is part of our faith. We don't like to dwell on it. We don't like to think about it, but it is essential and it is good because death is the dying of the old self so we can have a new life. I also want to make it clear that God's not just reworking your old self. He's given you a new one. 
the, the scriptures tells us if anyone is in Christ. So I always like to make this clear because I've run into so many people that say they're believers and there's no evidence for that at all in their lives. And I mean, I'm not the final judge of it, but I think when we are something, there ought to be some evidence of it in our lives. And if you're a brand new believer, there may be very little, but there ought to be something in your life that shows evidence of it. So when we come to the Lord, I, I always want to say we need to step into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Not just, oh yeah, I think I said a little prayer when I was seven, I'm 57 now, I haven't thought about God since then, but I think I did that. No, we need to be in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It doesn't say, and God reworked your old self and made you a modern, you know, souped up version. No, the old is gone, the new has come. And the, that verse clearly tells us that God's totally rid us of sin, and we are free from sin, and we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. It's, it's the great exchange in the Bible that you'll never hear me quit talking about, that, that Jesus, who did no sin and knew no sin, took our sin. And we, who all we were, were sinners, took Jesus' righteousness. What a great deal. You and I, if you're a believer right now, and I'm not talking about whether you had a good morning or a bad morning, whether you fought on the way to church or not, or whether you spent two hours in prayer before church started. I'm not talking about any of those things we do. But I'm saying if you're really a believer, guess what? You are the righteousness of God in Christ right now. Well, I don't know. I think I need to say I'm sorry for a few things. Well, you might need to say you're sorry for a few things, but I do want to tell you this. That does not affect your standing in your righteousness with God. Or, or Jesus is a liar. And the word's light, but it says he took all of our sins, removed them all. We, we received his righteousness. So we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And giving up the old should not be a big deal. We don't trade, trade cars real often. Some of you, you know, trade cars. I've got a brother that's had so many cars, and some people love to do. That's fine. We're all different. Um, we get a car. We tend to keep it until it's, you know, done for. If you ever hear us talk about that when we're, done with the car, we give it away, now you know. It's not like it was that great of a gift, okay? But it usually would have got us some money, but we decided to give it away. I remember giving one car away, and we've gotten better because this one car we gave away to a friend, and I had a, a list of its idiosyncrasies. I said, if you don't do this and don't do that and watch out for this and shut it off here and do this there, it's not going to last. It lasted for them about three days because they weren't you know, they couldn't get their mind around that. Now, we've gotten better over the years, but we had a particular car that at the time we got. It was the most luxurious car we've ever had. And it was, they only make, I don't know how long it's been since they made this car, but it was a Mazda 929. And for us, now I know if you drove in here today in a Rolls Royce or a Bentley, you're going, a Mazda? You know, and you're saying, that was a luxurious car. Well, it was dust, okay? So, we're, we have this 929, it's beautiful, inside now, it had all the bells and whistles to it, it was a wonderful car. Well, we kept that car forever. And if I wasn't careful, I could reminisce and romanticize all the wonderful things we did in that car. We took family vacations in that car, we tri took trips in that car, we drove the kids to school every day in the car, we did life in that car. Our kids grew up in that car. I mean, we let them in the house sometimes, but, but they, they grew up in there. They turned into teenagers in that car. That car became Sean's car, you know, how when you, you know, it's usually a car in the family, you get a drive. And so I could think about all that, and when the car was leaving, I could think, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to miss that car. Well, that's if I don't tell you the whole story about the car. 
once the car started getting older, it started having all kinds of problems. And one of the problems was the heater didn't work. And when the heater doesn't work, I went to see what it would cost to get the heater fixed. Well, it would cost more to fix the heater than the car was worth. Now, I want to clarify this as I do regularly. I am not cheap. I am Scottish. I'm thrifty. Scottish people are thrifty. So I'm thinking, why would we spend that much money to fix a car that's not even worth that much money? So what we did was we just drove it cold. But we were somewhat eventful because we would take and put a heater in the car before we left to warm it all up. Okay, you with me? And then we'd drive the car, and if it's a quick little dash somewhere, you're okay, but it would start getting cold on you. Well, if you've never had this experience, I've had it on a couple of cars. Um, it would get so cold on the inside, we had to scrape the inside of the window. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but we have scraped the inside of the window. But we figured something out. If we will allow the car to get as cold on the inside as it is on the outside, the window will take care of itself. So if it was 28 on the outside, we just crack the windows till it's 28 on the inside, and the windows will clear themselves. Had another problem, too. Didn't want to, wanted to die all the time. So we discovered that if you came to a stop sign or went through a drive-thru and you kept the left foot on the brake, and the right foot giving just a little bit of gas, it would keep running for you, otherwise it'd die on you all the time. So, one day that car was gone, and we upgraded it to, uh, I think car only had like 80 miles on it, that we got a really high-end, luxurious, luxury car. And no one said when that car was leaving, oh, I'm going to miss that so much. No, they got in the new car and said, this car is awesome. It has heat. It has heated seats. It has a working defroster. It, it, it will idle and not die. They, you know, was, we were excited about that. I want to tell you, going from the lost condition we're in to in Christ is a gazillion times better than that illustration I just gave. Do not romanticize your old life before Christ. The devil will come, and he'll remind you of a couple sinful parties that you were at that were really a lot of fun. I'm not doubting that they weren't fun and that they didn't satisfy your flesh, and it was wonderful. But he'll forget to tell you all the other stuff. The windows frost up. The heater doesn't work. The thing won't idle. You know, it's got all these problems. And so our life was broken before Jesus, and Jesus gives us new life. We have to say death to the old thing to enjoy the beauty and wonder of the new thing. I know Sean wasn't bothered because that became his car. And so anytime he took out a young lady on a date, he had to say, wear multiple layers, wear a parka like you were climbing Mount Everest. And if you have a face mask, that would be really good to wear too because it's going to be 28 degrees in that car. So anyway, he wasn't mad about that leaving at all, until he found out we wouldn't let him drive the new car and he had to pick up everybody on a bicycle, but other than that, it was all fine. Death seems hard, and many aspects of it is hard. Romans 12.1 says that we are living sacrifices. Have you ever thought about that phrase, you're a living sacrifice? Does anybody know what you do to sacrifices? You kill them. You're a living sacrifice. You know, the scripture says that we face death every day. Every day, we're a living sacrifice. We die to self and are alive to God every day. And it's painful to die to yourself. Yourself wants to do what it wants, when it wants, how it wants, with whom it wants, where it wants. You got the idea. We've all experienced that. 
But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 tells us this. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, or the body, arm yourself also with the same mind or the same attitude. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When you say no to your flesh, your flesh will cry. Your flesh will whine. Your flesh will beg. Your flesh will do it. You will suffer in your flesh. But the Bible says that he who has suffered in his flesh ceases from sin. Now, again, the draw and lure of sin is very strong because sin has pleasure to it, the Scripture says. That Moses, he decided to go the way of God and enjoy the pleasures of sin, the pleasures of Egypt, for a season. So sin has pleasure for a season. So I know the devil's there whispering in your ear, well, oh my goodness, if you, if you serve Jesus, think about the stuff you know, you're not supposed to do. But if you keep serving me, you can do whatever you want. So you suffer in your flesh. But we have insight. We are in a new kingdom. We have access to new information. We don't have access to just what we're told, you know, on the playground. We don't have access to just what the culture says is good and lovely and honorable and upright. We have access to the eternal word of God. This breathed by God for us. We have access, a manual for how to operate in this new kingdom. And so as we read this, the Bible says all scripture is inspired by God. Even the Old Testament, the Bible says the holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so this word is Holy Spirit inspired. And this Holy Spirit inspired tell, word tells me this. Sin produces, does anybody know? Death. Sin produces death. And so when I think about the long haul, I say, hold it. If I can suffer my flesh and it, I cease from sin, then I can abort early on this growth process that will end up in death. Hmm. Real living in Jesus, according to him, is abundant life, overflowing life. Now, I want to say this, it didn't say a life where you never have a problem. Did Jesus have some problems? Yeah. Did the disciples have some problems? Yeah. When you read the Bible, if you're going to be honest, did you have problems? Yeah. Jesus said, in this world, you will have problems. You will have trouble. You will have trials. You will have testing. Don't stop the verse there, though, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So I have placed inside you an overcoming power, even in the midst of your trials, your struggles, whatever, that you'll overcome. And so sin produces death, so I want to get out of the death mode, and I want to go for life. And so we look here at this, what I'll call an anchor verse that we looked up earlier, um, because we realize that real life, real living, the road runs through death to self. The real road to real life runs through death to self, and when we experience that, we can experience life. So here's what I call an anchor verse, Romans 6, 4. We, therefore, were buried with him through baptism into death, we looked at this earlier, in order that, for this reason, in other words, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We want a new life. Last week we saw that when we looked at Galatians 5, that it trained us and told us we should walk in the Spirit and we should, we should stay in step with the Spirit and we should live by the Spirit. And so we've looked at crucifying our flesh, all these churchy, preachy terms that really we wonder, what in the world does all that mean? Well, let's look at it. Here's what it means in Romans 8, 6. 
So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. So I need to crucify my flesh. I need to die to self and die to sin, and I am to consider myself dead unto sin and alive unto God. That's the crucifying of your flesh. That's saying, I'm going to deny myself, take up your cross, follow you, and I, and I don't want to stop there because it sounds so awful. You're just stuck in denying yourself and dying and death. Ugh. But why? So you can have the new life of God. So you can have abundant, overflowing, to the measure, full life that John 10.10 10 writes about that Jesus said. So it says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, but letting the Holy Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Well, it's not a hard choice when we look at it like that. Do I want death or do I want life and peace? I want life and peace. So what are we setting our minds on? What are we setting our heart on? If we're setting our heart on the world and the culture and sin and all kinds of stuff like that, it just causes turmoil and brokenness and death. But if we set our mind on the Holy Spirit, which again, he's breathed into the Word, the Holy Spirit's breathed and spoken the Word of God, then we set our minds on the Word of God, then we have life and peace. So I want to look at the transformation progression here. The first thing, which I mentioned earlier, and I want to stress it again, is you must be born again. I, I don't I know if we fully understood the gospel message, this wouldn't be a struggle for us, but maybe this is the first time you've ever even heard it. So you say, I don't know about being born again. I think maybe I want to be a better person. I want to be a better parent, a better child, a, a better husband or wife or neighbor or friend or worker or whatever. But I don't know that I really want Jesus. Well, trust me, you want him. He's amazing. He's incredible. You must be born again. That's a Bible term that was confusing even to... Nicodemus, this, a spiritual leader in the Jewish church, Jesus told him, you must be born again. So that's, that's a Jesus word. There's so much weirdness even in, in Christian culture sometimes. I heard somebody say, I think we need to get rid of the phrase born again. And I think, why? Jesus came up with it. Maybe we just ought to explain it better than we do. So born again. You were born of flesh. Now you need to be born by the Spirit. You need a, a birth of the Spirit. And so you must be born again. The second thing, this is a powerful one. Control your flow of information and influence. Never before in the history of the world. Now, I don't say that very often because I hear people say, oh, the world's never been this bad. It's always been this bad. It's been bad since the fall. But never before in the history of the world have we had so much information flow to us so fast from every corner. When I grew up, I know, you know, I know some younger people say, what is he, 180 or something? No, this wasn't that long ago. When I grew up, we had four stations on TV. We had Channel 4, Channel 6, which came in fuzzy, Channel 8, and Channel 13. If we wanted to get Channel 6, I was the baby of the family. I went outside, twisted the antenna till they knocked on the window. And the very serious part, that's how we got Channel 6 in better. Tracy, go out there and turn the antenna. So I'd turn the antenna. And then knock on the, okay, six is coming in a little better. That was it. That was our only choices. And then we had the Crump Movie Theater. That was it. That was our only choices, okay? Nowadays, we don't even have cable. We just have whatever comes through our little antenna. We have so many choices, we don't even know what to watch. 
So we end up watching the same stuff all the time. And, uh, and we'll say, how many times have we seen this episode of Andy Griffith? And we were watching one last night. I said, yeah, this is one of my favorite ones. We've only seen it like nine times. Let's watch it one more time. So you end up watching. There's so much to watch. You get on social media. And, and by the way, I'm not opposed to all this stuff. I just think it all needs to be, we need to really be careful and wise. We get on social media, man, they're bombarding you. You ever notice that? You, you get on Facebook, and that's the only social media I have other than email. And people ask me, are you on Twitter? Are you on the, I, I ain't, Facebook's enough for me. I can't, that's more than I can handle. So, but you, you ever notice you get on Facebook, and, and uh, there'll be some kind of little thing scrolling over here. There'll be something pop up, like, huh, that looks interesting. Maybe I need to click on it. They want you to click on it. They want you to click on it because that keeps you looking, and it gives them eyeballs, and makes them money. And so you can get to the end of the day and say, I logged on to Facebook at 6 a.m. It's midnight. I never did get off of there. I kept finding stuff to click on everywhere and go to and everything. So you've got to be careful because all that's influencing you. If you watch any modern TV shows, you'll see what the culture loves in every show. What they deem beautiful and, and lovely uh, will be on there all the time. I could go on about that. Watch out. Then we got podcasts. And then we got, you know, emails and, and articles coming to us and, and on and on and on and on. And so we're getting all this influence. And then sometimes we say, I really don't feel like I'm getting the traction I want to in my spiritual life. Or I don't think Jesus is all that transforming. And you say, really? Well, let's look at what you've been influencing yourself with. Let's look at how much time was spent on, on TV or the tablet or the phone or on social media or on podcasts or on whatever. And you get and you say, well, my, my screen time was down 22%. I get a little notification every Sunday morning. It pops up my screen time. My screen time was down 17%, so this week I only spent 62 hours listening to everything that was going on in the world. So how's your prayer life? I prayed last Sunday at church in that little prayer time we had, and I read some scriptures when you put, threw them up there on the overhead, and that's pretty much it. Okay, then I'm going to let you in on something. There's why your Christian life isn't getting much spiritual traction. Because the influence in your life, and I'm not telling you guys to spend 60 hours of prayer and the Word or whatever, but you need to control that influence. We did an incredible Bible study one time here called Experiencing God. And we were all really enjoying it, really growing by it, and really doing this. And one person who had a host home was telling me, he said, I, it's good, but I'm not really enjoying it that much. And everybody seems to be you know, into it more than I am. And so I had to substitute teach that night. And he was the host home, but not the teacher. And he was sitting right beside me, and I said, let's turn, we'll say it's lesson seven. And he started fanning through, and I watched his pages flip. Guess how many pages had even one word written on it? Zero. I said, I think I've detected why he's not getting as much out of this study as other people are. You know, we have to be careful about the influence that goes into our lives. So guard that. Guard your TV time. And I, again, there is a time to relax and watch something health, healthy and, and wholesome, but be very careful and don't be deceived And all of a sudden you find out that you're loving the culture and what the culture loves, just like the culture does, and you call yourself a Christian, and what they're loving is violating the Word of God because the Word of God hasn't been your input for a long time. Well, can I still be a Christian? Yeah, you, you can. I think there's a lot of Christians that are in that boat. We need to change the direction of the ship. We need to change the direction of the boat. 
So yield yourself, your mind, heart, your spirit to the Holy Spirit, to the Word of God, which He breathed. Make sure you're yielding yourself to that. And the fourth thing is trust in God's empowerment. Now, I'm not teaching a salvation that comes by works because we can never do enough to earn it, and it would be impossible. But I am telling you this. Your transformation in Christ will depend upon the environment you're creating because we're growing fruit. You want good fruit? You make sure the soil has good nutrients. You make sure the pests and everything that want to destroy your fruit are held at arm's length. You make sure that you're doing the best you can with God's help, that there's sun and water and nourishment and the pests are gone, the bugs are gone. You're creating an environment to grow fruit. And when you do that, you will thrive and mature spiritually. So here's a verse I cling to. We'll wrap up with it. It's a, it's a verse to let us know that all growth that we experience comes from him ultimately. But we've got to yield ourselves to him. Philippians 2.13 for God is working in you. <sighs> so it's not all me? No. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Have you ever noticed you need both? If you don't have a desire, sometimes my prayers have honestly just started out like this. Lord, I want to want to. I don't want to, but I want to want to. So help me. Help my desire. And then once you have desire, it's very frustrating if there's no empowerment to it. So desire and power to do what pleases him. Next week we're going to talk about mastery. It's an in word now in our culture. It's a great word. If you do look online anywhere, you will find out that you can join this master class. You know, you can join a master class for anything. They're out there like crazy for anything. You can get a master class and you can master this skill or master this thought or master whatever. That's really good advice. I, I think this right here holds an incredible master class in about anything you can think of. And we're going to look at next week, what's mastering you? How can we master things in our lives better? Again, I want to say this clearly, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've long since lost all hope in my ability to change myself apart from God. We need him. So we'll talk about that next week and grow a little more in creating an environment for spiritual growth.